welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Dave Jenkinson continues our series on Lessons from Life Stories, looking at the life of Gideon. And now, here's Dave. So good to see each and every one of you, both here and those who are with us via Zoom. We appreciate the excellent praise and worship time. Thank you, team. You lifted our hearts to the Lord's presence, and we do want to say thank you for your part in doing that. Let's just look to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather together in this place. And while it may be a little snowy outside, inside our hearts are warmed uh, by the worship by the love that you have extended to us in the person of your Son. Truly, God is good. And we acknowledge again that your mercies are from everlasting to everlasting. Lord, pray your blessings upon this time, that our hearts may be further warmed in you, that we may see Jesus once more, that we may be reminded that we too have a battle to wage for Jesus. But... The battle has been won. And we thank you for your word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. It's wonderful to be able to share in these stories from the Old Testament. I love how very real these stories are. And in fact, it's history. It's his story. So if you uh, read the Old Testament and you do not see Jesus walking amongst the people of Israel, uh, then you've probably missed the major message of the story. In Judges, of course, the book itself is a series of cycles. So each one of us, uh, sometimes we're asking uh, how are you doing? Ah, not so good. I'm in a bit of a low, low valley right now. And then other days you're just walking and you, you could be floating along. It's just that nice. So we have our own cycles. And as Mark Lauer used to say, um, what does it mean when Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give it more abundantly? And I love his expression. Well, life is a series of cycles. And so when you have it more abundantly, you have deeper and higher cycles of your life, the abundant life. And I, I think, well, that's that's pretty fair because some of us go pretty, pretty deep and dive pretty deep sometimes. Uh, that was Gideon's story as well. Now, Gideon follows the theme that we've looked at. Judges chapter two. Uh, verses 14 to 19 tells us that theme. And uh, it says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to the plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of the surrounding enemies so they could no longer withstand their enemies. And when they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. In verse 16, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, but they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. And they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. And they did not do so. 
Now, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved by, to pity by their groaning because of these who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing before them. This is basically the theme that's repeated over and over and over again. The thought that there were cycles in the life of the people of God as they had moved into Israel. Remember, they had moved into the land of milk and honey, but they were not really taking advantage of all that God had entitled them to. And so we can look at just a brief overview. Uh, It talks about the various judges, and we're not going to go into all the detail, but there were some 15 sets of judges right up to the 15th judge, Samuel. In each period of a judge, there would be a period of time when there would be peace and prosperity, and then there would be servitude to the Philistines, to the Midianites, to the to the to uh, the uh, Caesarea. There was various enemies of God that came in and made them servitude or made them slaves again. As we look at the map for the story of Gideon. We have taken the time to show you that there was various others on that map as well. Gideon was encircled by Deborah to the north and Jephthah to the south, Ehud to the far south around Jerusalem, and Samson, who mainly spent his time in the area around Gaza and Ashkelon and those coastal cities along the coast of the Mediterranean. Why do we bring the geography into this? Well, because they were meant to enjoy all of the land. And yet they were still struggling to drive out the enemies of the land who weren't going just peacefully, by the way. They were they were sometimes saying, no, you're you're not going to take my land. And this is a. this was a quite a, a process over a period of several hundred years. And so Gideon begins the story in Judges chapter 6. And in Judges chapter 6, I've highlighted a little bit right at verse 12. I've highlighted that so that we can understand that up until that time they had gone through a period of time. And the Midianites, who we understand were actually uh, a son of Abraham through the, the wife Keturah, Um, This group of nomadic dwellers who lived in the Sinai Peninsula in Saudi Arabia, what would now be Saudi Arabia, this group that from which Moses' wife came from, she was a Midianite, uh, this group had marauding bands and they would come in in hordes with camels and they would just bring their sheep and their, their, their livestock and completely destroy everything in their path. They came from the south up to the north and it was at that time that the people of God again prayed to God and asked them to send a deliverer. The angel of the Lord in verse 12 appears to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, thou mighty man of valor. It's interesting that here's a man who was seated in a wine press working uh, in a, uh, working with a, a mill, milling some wheat. He was avoiding uh, this, uh, being doing this in the open for fear of the, the invading marauding bands. And uh, he was called a man of courage, a man of valor. 
See, God sees us, not the way we see us. And this is one of the lessons we can learn from this passage today. That God sees who you are and who you will become. And he looks at the big picture. He is the great I am. And so when he comes to Gideon in the person of this angel of the Lord, he says, the Lord is with thee. What a powerful statement. The Lord is with you. That is none other than the word Emmanuel, God with us. And in a few short weeks, we will be celebrating the birth of the king. The one who came into this world, God with us, Emmanuel. And that was one of his names, but not the only name. King of kings and Lord of lords. And he, Gideon, looks around and says, how can you say such thing? If the Lord is with us, why has this befallen us? I love the fact that he can ask the question, why? He asks the question, why? Because it is in his heart. He is gut level honest with God. Have you ever done that? You know, some of us play with God so much that we don't really pray. We play. We really come into God's presence and we have our flowery language, whether it be King James language or whether it be some other flowery language. But we use terms and we use phraseology that we've used over and over and over again. And it makes us feel good. But we're not talking to God. If you came up and talked to a friend like you talked to God, they would just look at you like you were bonkers. I'm sure that would be the case. And I'm, I'm as guilty as the rest of us because we are people of pattern and practice. And so we get into habits, good habits to pray. But sometimes it's not good habits if we're not really talking to the Lord. And he says, why? If it's, this is so, why has it? He's, he's talking. He's really interacting. He's asking a question. Have you ever asked the question, why to God? We need to be able to answer that question. And he says, why has that all befallen us? And where are all the miracles the fathers have told us? He would look back to them crossing the Red Sea. He would look back to them walking through that wilderness and seeing the manna every day for 40 years. He would remember the water that sprung out of the rock when Moses struck it. And then the second time when, when he was supposed to speak to it, and he struck it again, and uh, he would remember all these mighty miracles, the miracles of, of them conquesting enemies, really, Amalekite, the Amalekites, who uh, her and, and the, the brothers of Aaron, the sons of Aaron would hold up Moses' hand so that their armies would succeed. Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt and now the Lord has forsaken us? Do you feel forsaken today? Some of us perhaps do. We feel abandoned by God. Let me remind you, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says. And then he goes on, and so I might boldly say the Lord is with us. I will not fear what man shall do to me. The Lord looked upon him and said, go in this your might and you shall save Israel. Now, as soon as this was said, I am sure, I, I'm pretty convinced that Gideon said, who, me? Who, me? He goes on to say that it's really tough being a failure. Now, I've got a picture here of um, somebody that you might recognize. So if uh, you can post that picture up, does anybody recognize that uh, baseball star? Anybody recognize who that might be? 
Yeah, yeah, I heard you over the screen. Babe Ruth, yes. Thank you. But what most of us don't realize is this home run champion struck out almost twice as many times as he hit home runs. Now, he's not remembered for the strikeouts. He's remembered for the home runs. But he had to dare to fail. And some of us have not dared to fail in our walk with God. We are so cautious, so insecure, so passively fearful that we have forgotten the Lord is with us. And this gentleman reminds us it's okay to fail because you learn from failures. It's okay to make mistakes because we learn from our mistakes. If your heart is right before God, we can move forward. And it says that the home run king had 714 career home runs, but 1,330 strikeouts. He knew that to achieve greatness in his profession, he would have to be willing to gamble or swing it all. You know, and not be afraid of the booze, not be afraid of the crowds who did this. Gideon would have to learn that same lesson. He said, oh, who? Oh, Lord, wherewithal shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh and I'm the least in my father's house. He would be the youngest in the father's house. You know, the firstborn has always got all the attention. Isn't that true? And the second born born always says, I'm so happy I wasn't the firstborn because I can learn from the mistakes of the the firstborn. That's the second born's attitude because I'm a second born, so I know that that position real well. But the last born, aren't they just lovely? Everybody loves the the baby of the family. And, and, And yet, it's like, can I ever get over being the baby of the family? David was the baby of the family. Yeah, he was. And uh, so was Gideon. And so it was told, if I have found favor in your sight, show me a sign that you're talking with me. Now, Gideon is one of those rare individuals who asks for a sign. Do you remember what Jesus said in the New Testament? You know, the, uh, the evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign. Let me remind us that there are two types of askers for signs. Gideon, whose heart was true before God, and he was saying, look, I just want to be sure that I'm really talking to the God of the universe here. Show me that this is really so. I I don't want to be mistaken here. Remember Eve in the garden? Yeah, she was talking to somebody too. And he sent her the wrong direction. I don't want to go the wrong direction. So that kind of sign. There are the others people that say, show me a sign. And, and they, wouldn't, they wouldn't know a sign if they hit one. They, they just wouldn't. They don't want a sign. They just want an excuse. So what kind of person are you? He said, show me a sign. What he does is he goes back and he brings a goat. He brings some, some broth. He brings some unleavened bread. He puts it on the rock and he offers it as a gift of sacrifice and hospitality to this angel from the Lord. And as that angel takes his staff and touches the rock, immediately fire springs out, not from the staff, but from the rock. For the rock is none other than a picture of the Lord Jesus. 
And it's his consuming fire that takes the offering, takes an offering. And, you know, we can give an offering to God every day of our lives, not just in gift giving financially, because that's only one side of offering. It could be time. It could be in personal sacrifice. It could be you being here today because you put all this time and effort to be here. It could be a gift to somebody that's unfortunate and needy, like we were hearing about in the, uh, in the Power for Living or in the, the Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Could be a gift of sacrifice called a Operation Christmas Child Shoebox. Any one of these things and so many more. And as that, sacri- as that fire blasts forth from the rock, it consumes and the angel of the Lord disappears. And immediately, immediately, Gideon perceived he was an angel of the Lord. And he says, oh, Lord God. Now, this is very, very important. He calls the angel the Lord God. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord from heaven says, peace be unto you. Fear not, you will not die. And immediately, it says in this passage of Judges chapter 6, that Gideon builds an offering and worships the Lord. And he calls the place of that place Jehovah, which, of course, is the Lord, and then Shah. Jehovah is our peace. While you would think that things were good for Gideon at that point in time, he had already sacrificed to the Lord. He had already seen miracles. He'd been given his commission. He'd been told what he was going to do. And now he gets a message from God that same night. And the Lord said, take your father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, throw down the altar of Baal that your father hath built and cut down the grove that's beside it and built an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the ordered place. And take that second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which you shall cut down. His father had Baal worship. This picture is a picture of uh, what's an actual idol that had been retrieved through archaeology. Various idols devoted to Baal. And uh, I wasn't sure which one to take, but I felt this might give us some idea. You see, the golden calves were introduced to the people of God way back by none other than Aaron himself. And they were introduced as a substitute. You know, if there's something that is a substitute for God, it could be a building. It could be your own building, your own home. It could be uh, your comfort. It could be an RRSP. It could be a person. If it becomes anything a substitute for God, it takes the place of an idol. There are plenty of idols in this land today that are taking the place of God. And he says, you've got to tear it down. You've got to sacrifice to me and make sure that people can see this. You can't do this. Well, Gideon says that he did it at night with ten of his friends. They cut down the grove. They made the offering. They did everything in the darkness of night. And the next day, the townspeople were so upset. They were so upset. This was the local place of worship for Baal in Gideon's father's house in his, on his land. And they said to him, what is going on? Bring out the man who did this. And the father rightly says, look, if Baal's so strong, let him take care of this injustice. 
And he essentially says, Gideon, you really are a contender with Baal. And he changes his name to Jerubbabel, which is, means a contender or a fighter against Baal. But then Gideon sends out messages because he knows that he's going to be in this great battle against the Midianites. And he says, I'm sorry, Lord, but I'm still weak and shaky. I don't know what to say except this. You've got to convince me that this is from you. And he puts this sheep's skin on the ground, the fleece. It's interesting he takes a sheep. A sheep had to be sacrificed in order for that sheepskin to be there. And he says, now, if uh, it's dry only on the fleece, but on the ground, is there dew? That was the second time he said it, by the way. Uh, and God did so that night. And so we have the example of God answering his prayer to show him he was on the right track. Should we put out fleeces? Um, no. And yes. <laughs> I, I say that seriously. Um, if the God who is alive right now really wants to get our attention, he sometimes has to do so by very obvious ways. But at the same time, we've been given his word and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Paul says to the Colossians, teaching and admonishing one another with hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts and let the peace of God rule your hearts. And so there is a balance to that. I remember in my early Christian days, I was always looking for fleeces. I was always looking for signs that I was on the right track. And boy, did I ever go wrong a lot of times. <laughs> because you can, you know, you can go so far with that. Which way am I supposed to travel, right or left, you know? And you just keep going around the block, you know? Because uh, sometimes that's not the way God wants. But at the same time, he does want us to hear his voice. And there may be something that we have missed in his message to us. Gideon wanted to be sure. He had a good heart. And he said, and God gave him the answer. Now, God raises up an army to fight against the Midianites. We discover in Judges chapter 8, verse 10, after the battle, that they did an actual counting. And there was 120,000 who fell on the day that the battle was ensued. And there were another 15,000 that fled away. So there was a total in the army of 135,000. So the 32,000 men that uh, were present for Gideon's army had a ratio of four to one. They basically said, we have an army and our 32,000 can handle four to one. And they God says, no, that's, that's too many. That's too many. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Four to one. So God does something very special. He says to Gideon, Gideon, I want you to do something. Tell anybody that's afraid to go home. 22,000 go. <laughs> Two-thirds of the army disappears within the hour. Now it's down to 10,000. But God says, no, it's still too many. Now the ratio is 1 to 13. In other words, each soldier would have to, have to fend off, execute, or capture 13 others. God says, too many, still too many. And so he calls them up to a place where there is water. This picture shows the, uh, the place where Gideon probably would have taken them. It's, it is the place today that if you go in Israel, they will call it Gideon's Spring. 
And the Lord said, the people are yet too many. Bring them down to the water and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whom say I, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So the whole group, 10,000 of them come down. And it's larger than this picture actually shows. But they would come down to this place, Gideon's spring, and they would either get down on their knees into the water and put their heads right down or they would cup the water with their hands and lap it. And God says, you see that 300 over there that are just doing it with their hands? Those are the ones that you need to take with you. They're your new army. 300. And 300, that's the ratio of 1 to 450. How would you like to go out to battle knowing that there were 450 others to every one that was in your army? Not real good odds, eh? Now God can get the glory. Now God, oh, wait a minute. We forgot. There's something else. You have special equipment. You have special equipment because Gideon was told by God to use special equipment. This is the battlefield, by the way, um, the Valley of Jezreel, where the armies were going to be fighting. And this is where the Midianites were spread out, the 135,000. Pretty amazing, flat, a perfect battlefield, but not if you only have 300 people. And so what do we learn from that? Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. And again in Isaiah 48, 11. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name not be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. The joy we have of serving Jesus is we are serving him. He gets the glory. He is the one to receive all the glory and the praise and the adoration in our lives. And we must be always so very careful that when somebody slaps you on the back and says, that was a great sermon, or slaps you on the back and says, hey, that was such a good job you did right there, turn it around to God and give him the glory. He deserves it all because we have so little to offer. He went all the way to that cross. He allowed them to impale him on that cross. And they put those nails into his hands, they should have been ours. They put the thorns on his brow, it should have been ours. That spear went into his side, it should have been my side. And he suffered for you and for me. And then as we were saying this morning in our earlier service, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. I know he holds the future. The good news is that he rose from the dead as he said he would, and he now lives in our hearts. We who by faith have surrendered our lives to him. Maybe there's somebody amongst us that's never truly surrendered in repentance to Jesus. Oh yeah, you've surrendered bits and pieces, but you never said all to Jesus and really meant it. If you will be serious and mean business with God, he will mean business with you. And so, I encourage you this morning to get right with God while there's still time. And so, the weapons that they were assigned to. Four weapons. A pot. Can you imagine? Going to the fellow in charge of all the equipment for the army. Say, okay, what are you going to give me for this battle? Here you go. A pot. 
Oh, yes, and a lamp, a torch, and a trumpet. Have you got enough hands here, guy? <laughs> and, by the way, make sure you don't have laryngitis. You're going to need to say something. Yeah, four things, but two arms and two hands. You know what that tells me? They had to figure out a way to carry everything. <laughs> they also had to figure out a way to do it in the dead of night. Now, Gideon is again a little bit concerned. He feels that he's really going on the wrong path here. He goes down into the camp. God says, go down in the camp and you'll see what the Midianites are saying. And he hears the dream that's been given. And that dream tells him again that God is at work and that he's going to have success. This is a crazy battle plan and he knows it. But it's only crazy because he would, if he had came up with it, it would be crazy. But because God came up with it, it was divine. It was a blessing. And so they go ahead. It says that they went during the very deepest of the of the, the midnight watch, the changing of the of the guard, between the hours of twelve and four in the morning. I landed I tend to think it was more closer to the four o'clock in the morning. It'd be just as the the dawn is a couple of hours away, everything is quiet in the camp, and they're told to break the pot, to raise the lamp, to blow the trumpet, and to shout out the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. And what happens? Pandemonium. The entire Midianite army starts escaping, fleeing, fighting with one another. Total confusion. They've been surrounded by the army. And do you know what they were told as soldiers? They were told to do one thing only. Shout. Break the pot. Well, there's four things, actually. <laughs> break the pot. Hold the torch. Shout out. The sword of the Lord and for Gideon and make sure you stand and stand still. Don't move forward and don't move back. Is it a little wonder that Paul in Ephesians 6 reminds the Christians that we have army, we have a, a soldier, we have a warfare, we have a weaponry, but we are called to stand. We're never called to slash with our swords. We're never called to pierce with our swords. We're never called to even fight with our swords. We're called to be lovers of peacefulness and go forward in love, but stand in your position. The, the pot that gets broken, it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. If you're going to ever accomplish anything for God, it's not going to be because of your talent or my talent. It's going to be because we are a broken people. We've been broken in our prayer life. We've been broken before the Lord. And we've been broken to ask that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. And then we are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And Jesus spoke to them again in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so it is that Romans 10, 9 and 10 and verse 13 puts it this way. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall 
be saved. This is definite. This is, this is God's promise to us today. I trust that you and I are moving forward in that promise. And as we do so, maybe during this year of 2020, we will see something strange that we've never seen before. Because that's what 2020 seems to be all about, doesn't it? You know, I have never seen in the 45 years I've been up here a Remembrance Day when there wasn't snow except this year. And I've seen a lot of strange things this year. But wouldn't it be wonderful if the strangest of all things happened? There was revival in the north. And people came flocking to the foot of the cross and said, I want to be saved. I want to know eternal life. I want to have hope and security in Jesus. He's knocking. Are you listening? And those who are on Zoom watching today, maybe somebody out there really needs to open their heart. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. May God bless you. As we go forward, may this strange year be stranger yet with revival and praise and worship and full churches. And God bless it, even the removal of all the COVID rules, because we would love to see God's work grow. And I know you have a heart for that because you are his children, just like I am. And so may God bless us as we close in prayer. Lord, we just pause to say thank you for this life of Gideon. It's a very complex individual you have presented before us. But all of us are called into the battle. If we know you, we are called to be your warriors. But not to be a warrior on our own, but rather to walk in the power of your might. To walk in the love of the Lord Jesus. There wasn't a person, no matter how despiteful they were to you, there was never a moment when you, Lord Jesus, ever showed anything less than full and unconditional love. Help us to be like that. That love will be the weapon of choice. And that we will go forth and that you, Lord, will bring about revival in the north. That many hearts who are dreading death and have been so confronted by it with the constant news will realize that there is one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? And we pray, Lord, this day that we will go forth from this place refreshed, encouraged, energized, and most importantly, walking with you. The Lord is with us. Praise be your name. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.